Livermore podcast. We hope you'll enjoy this message by Pastor Joshua Harris. The idea of our theme and our theme messages for the first month of the year in January is set apart. Again, we talked about a biblical view of holiness. God has great things for us this year. Often when God is doing a new thing, when God is doing a great thing, there's a moment of setting aside, setting apart, preparation that positions us to be ready for the new thing God is doing. Uh, I'm remembering Joshua, the life of Joshua, I guess, because my name's Joshua. Uh, when he's getting ready to take the people in a promised land, rather than go immediately, God encourages them to pull back, consecrate themselves, prepare themselves, set their hearts, set their minds, set their lives apart, refocus on the things that matter the most so that they could be prepared for the next season they have. Uh, now, when I was thinking about this and specifically thinking about the word holiness, uh, the verse that came to my mind actually comes much later in the Bible in the book of Isaiah, when the prophet has an amazing encounter with God in a very difficult moment of his life. It says in the year that King Uzziah died, now King Uzziah was a pretty good king and had good relationship with Isaiah. This was a tough moment for Isaiah. And it says in that moment, he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And then it goes on to say that there were these angels, these seraphim, and they had six wings and they covered their face and covered their feet and, and then they flew with the other ones. And it's this idea of this supernatural, powerful encounter with God that's life-changing. And, and Isaiah is just absolutely overwhelmed by it. And he hears the angels call out and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So there's this idea of holy, holy, holy. When the when you see in the Bible a word repeated three times like that, it's the idea of almost like completion or it's adding to itself. It's not just saying the same thing uh, three times. It's like it's sort of like you're adding on top of one another, right? It's like if you ordered uh, a triple cheeseburger, it's like it's a cheeseburger and then more cheeseburger, then more cheeseburger. It's not the same just one cheeseburger. It's it's going above and more and more. Uh, a term we might use is the term superlative. It, it, it's when you get to three, it's like. Holy, holy would be more holy. Holy, holy, holy is most holy. And that idea comes from a Hebrew word. That word holy there is actually, we're translating the word repeated three times, kadosh. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Now, what does kadosh mean? Uh, it's translated this way in, the, in some of the Bible helps. It explains that that's when it's referencing God. God is separate, apart, and therefore sacred. Uh, as I read this, I thought, you know, there's a good side to being separate and apart. If you look at something being evil and you go, that thing's not evil, and you go, man, that's good that it's different, it's separate, it's apart. But on another hand, when I hear separate and apart, it's kind of a negative term for me. It, it, it feels not good to have things be separate from one another, to be pulled apart from one another. So I like that it clarifies to say this, separate in this sense. God is separate from human infirmity, impurity, and sin. In other words, Everything God does, he does it perfectly. Everything God does, he does well. There's no limitation to the value in which God provides to us. And so that's really encouraging. This holiness, I, I don't know if you're like me, I guess where I've been struggling with this word as I've been preparing for this time of sharing is sometimes when I hear people, oh, you think you're so much holier than me or you think you're holier than thou is what some people used to say. And that idea was like a judgmental separation. It's I'm different than you, so I don't hang out with you because I, I don't want your evil to touch me or taint me. Instead of a separation that goes, I'm not going to partner with something that's going to hurt people. The holiness of God was never intended to be something to judge or condemn others. 
The idea of the holiness of God was to affirm what is good, what is pure, what doesn't produce death, what is light, what is truth, not to condemn darkness, but to shine light. Now, as we go on, we see the reaction of Isaiah is a very common reaction to humanity about God's holiness, and I'll explain why. He says this, the foundations of the threshold began to shake, and the voices of him who called, because the voices that were calling, and the whole house was filled with smoke. It's like this presence of God was so tangible and real, it was overwhelming everything else. And here's Isaiah's response. Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know what Isaiah was affirming? He's actually affirming something that's very true from the Bible. He's affirming something Paul said in the book of Romans chapter three. He said this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is he saying? Is he saying everybody's completely evil and always? I don't think so. I think what he's saying is this, our best efforts, our best days, the very best we've ever tried to do has some taint of corruption in it. We are not wholly pure. Uh, this one guy used to describe it this way. He told a story, whether this is true or not, of his, his grandmother baking a bunch of brownies for a bunch of kids that were over at their house. And as the kids run up to take the brownies, she goes, hey, kids, I just want you to know one thing. Uh, these brownies are the best family recipe. We've had this brownie recipe for generations. Uh, but I did take a little bit of dog poop right before I baked it, and I mixed that into the batter. So 90 Five, 96, 97% of this brownies is the best brownie you'll ever have in your whole life. But maybe three, four, five percent of it is dog poop. Uh, who wants a brownie? You know what's amazing? Even just the three or four percent of dog poop prevented people from wanting the brownies. And that's the real problem with sin. Once a taint, once a, once a corruption gets on something, even if it's small, it disrupts the whole thing. It's why Jesus said even a little bit of leaven, a little bit of yeast, leavens the whole loaf. It creates the negative thing that he didn't want. That's why like, they used to have unleavened bread. You can't have even a little bit. It has to be pure. If you've ever read the Old Testament and wondered why they get really worked up about very specific strange things, you can't mix two fabrics on a cloth or you can't do these things. Purity was a big deal because the purity was external and it was an attempt to show how pure God really was. But the truth is our best efforts still fall short. And again, he affirms that Paul goes on to say it this way in Ephesians. He says, you were actually dead in your trespasses and sins. So the problem is not just that you have this slight taint corruption on you. It's that you cannot fully walk in the ways God wants you to walk in. In fact, because you're dead in your trespasses and sins, uh, you're now walking following the course of a world that's leading you towards death. And so what do we do about it? Well, he answers, he says, but God. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he's made us alive together with Christ. He describes that in this way. He says, by grace, you have been saved. Now, what did he mean by saved? You've been taken out of that prison where no matter how hard you try, everything you do has this taint of corruption on it. And I'm going to move you out of that place where you can live in the way you're actually intended to live. Now he describes that position of salvation, that position of true holiness in the way he describes God. Here's how a man named Thomas Odin described that holiness in the life of God. To say that God is holy is nothing other than to say God is perfect in goodness. So one of the ways we're saved is God can change our heart back 
to where our motivations become good, not self-centered, both in essential nature and in every act or energy. What does that mean? Or operation. He's adding to it, not just our motivations, our intentions, our wishes, but actually our actions produce the things we wish they would produce. The actions that proceed out of that nature, as Thomas Oded says. Uh, what does that mean to us? There's times where really from the goodness of my heart, believe it or not, before the Lord, I've actually done stuff for the right reasons every now and then. But sometimes it doesn't produce the right results. And have you ever wondered why that is? I tried to serve this person, but it ended up hurting that person. I tried to be there for that person, but I ended up saying something that actually hurt them. I tried to do something good, but it actually turned for bad. If you've ever been in that position, the frustration and the pain of that, that's the reality of a world that's been separated from God. That's what it means to be unholy, is that sometimes our motivations get made impure. Sometimes our actions, even if they're made for good motivations, don't produce what we wish they would produce. So where does that leave you and I? The picture I have of God's intention for your life is this picture right here. Uh, when I was younger, that is not a picture of me. That is looks like a girl. I'm not really sure. But um, there was this moment where when I was younger, I had been running for a long time and got in pretty good shape. And I was running through a field not that different than that one. And I was barefoot running through this field. And I could just feel the wind through my hair. I did have long hair at the time. And I was just soaring. And I could feel the exhilaration of running. And I was in good enough shape where I didn't lose breath too fast. And I could just feel pure joy all around me. And I loved that moment. And I remember being like, wow, this is so wonderful. And then within about five more steps, it was no longer wonderful. Why? Because I was starting to lose oxygen. I was starting to lose my breath and running full out. You can only run for so far before you start feeling the effects of a fallen world. And I love the picture C.S. Lewis gives of when they go to heaven and they're running and they're yelling further in and further up. And you can just run and run and run and not lose energy, not fatigue, not lose strength. So holiness is not just, this is what I'm trying to tell you. Holiness is not just about not doing bad things or not having bad things. Holiness, the holiness of God is having the value, having the life, having the light, having the joy, having the peace, having the production that God intended for our lives. And that's why Paul goes on to say in Ephesians, this statement, we are God's masterpiece. We are his workmanship. We are his poem or poem or shepherded people into the thing that he wants us to be created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So now he's saying, hey, I can get you out of that mess where your motivations are wrong, where your actions are wrong, where your thoughts are wrong, and I can move you to a place of life. But not only that, I can strengthen you where I've prepared you to walk out into things that produce good, that you can have a holy life that doesn't just mean not doing bad things. It means doing things that produce life. Now, how does that work? Well, it starts with a work that has nothing to do with us. It starts with a work that's purely God. Therefore, in the book of Romans, Paul explains it this way. Since we have been justified, Justified is that idea of being set back straight. It's like if you've been corrupted or bent or if you've seen trees that have been hit by storms or winds or something like that and they're kind of leaned over. That's called an iniquity, a leaning, a bending. Justification is being set right back the way you were intended to be. So he says you have been justified. We've set it back 
to a position where you can live holy, you can live the life you were intended to live. How? By faith. Through belief in what Jesus Christ did. That's why we talk a lot about Jesus was really God. He really was born. He really did live a perfect life. He lived a holy life. He did what he was supposed to do, said what he was supposed to say, went where he was supposed to go. He did everything he was supposed to do, and it produced the things he intended it to produce. That's his life. He died a death we deserve to die. Three days later, he rose from the dead. If we believe that, he says we're justified by our faith in that. It gives us peace with God through him. Now that I have peace with God, God is now active in my life. The peace with God is what we call salvation. I now have relationship with God forever. That relationship pours into me his holiness. It pushes out of me my uncleanliness and my impurities and prepares me to walk in his grace. Now, he saves me forever. Day one, it's saved, it's over. You believe, you're saved. But he's processing us through this process called sanctification, making that salvation he put in us come out in every area of our life. He does that through a way that I don't like talking about very much. It's why I saved it for the end. The truth is, it's the challenges, the training, and the disciplines of life that prepare us to be like God, to live like God. He says we can live like him. We can be like him. We can represent him. We can be his ambassadors. It happens through our trials and our trainings called discipline. In Hebrews, he says it this way, for they disciplined, our parents disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. So he's talking about this whole idea of parents' responsibility to train, to raise up, to discipline their children. But then he flips it and says, but he, God, disciplines us for our good. Now, if you've ever been disciplined for something, normally you're either, I'm embarrassed I got caught, I'm worried about the, the weight of the punishment, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed because of how it makes me look to my friends or family or whoever else. But it's comforting to be reminded when God disciplines, he's not doing it to hurt you. He's doing it for your good. He's helping you recognize if I allow you to continue to act that way, it's going to negatively affect your relationships, your spiritual life, your physical life. You know, why do we discipline our kids eating? Because we don't want them to be sick. Why do you discipline their sleeping? Or why do you discipline, um, you know, how they handle resources or any of those things? It's because you don't want them to have death. You want them to experience life. And so we discipline for their good. Now, as best as seems to us, God always disciplines for our good perfectly. Why? That we may share in his holiness. He wants us to have the privilege of participating in relationship where what we do produces what we hope it's going to do. What we say produce what we meant it to produce. Where we go is where we're supposed to be. How we live is the way we're meant to live so that we can experience the fullness of life he intended for us. So let me summarize what I've shared today. First of all, that God is holy. And that means separate. He is different than us and anyone else. He's the unmade, uncaused cause. He is the unmade th living thing. He is totally different in every way than the rest of us. That can either be scary because it means we can't touch him, or it means uh, something that can give us encouragement because there's hope for us to be changed. Because he's separate, he's not just separate in some vague way or we don't know whether that's good or bad. He is separate from us as sacred, as set apart as purity. Uh, in, he is light where there could be darkness. He is truth where there could be falsehood. He is love where there could be hate or apathy. He is the best good of whatever good we're desiring. And so as we seek him, we find that best good. And that's what we call a superlative. He is the most. He's not just holy. He's not just more holy, holy, holy. 
He is the superlative, holy, 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 the most holy, the most different, the most full, the most good. And because of that, we can receive the most from him in our own lives. Now, the truth is we are not those things. First of all, we sin, we, we fall short, we try and we mess up. If you've ever seen me, just got off Christmas, wrapping a Christmas present, I've tried to wrap them, it looks ugly. We have fallen short of the glory of when Nani wraps a gift and it looks professional versus when I do it. We fall short, we try our best and we don't measure up. That's just a fact of life. Unfortunately, we're also selfish. Sometimes our motivations are pure, sometimes they're not. Sometimes our actions come from a good place, sometimes they don't. Sometimes we have the strength to, to correctly function, sometimes we miss it. Here's the good news. God is holy, we are not. That could mean, which often people thought it meant, we're in trouble, he's gonna kill us. No, he's gonna help us. God can make us holy. He sets us right, that's that justified by faith. God, if you go, my whole life's been messed up, my whole direction's been messed up. You come to him by faith, you say, Lord Jesus, I am sorry, I've messed this life up, I need you to save me and help me. He sets you back straight. That's what I call salvation. Then setting us back straight actually sets us free to serve him, to be the us we were intended to be. That's his desire for us. Now he plays that out over time by setting us apart for the good works he's made us for. If we'll recognize God as holy, if we'll recognize ourselves as needing help, God can work in our lives to make us be like him. It's not our working, it's his working in us that makes the change. And that's why we celebrate, one of the things we celebrate every week is we take communion together and we take the bread and cup. Uh, and we do that in your own time, your own space, so you have time to reflect and then do that as the Lord would lead you. For me, it's a remembrance. I didn't die for my sins, Jesus did. I didn't forgive my sins, God forgave my sins. I didn't change my life, God's power changed my life. And as we take the bread, we recognize his body broken so our bodies could be healed. As we take the cup, we recognize his blood was poured out as a, as a payment for all the wrong I ever did and an empowerment for me to be changed and become new and live differently. Not just me, but anyone who would call on the name of the Lord to be saved. God bless you this week as you encounter God in all the different ways that he's showing up in your life this week. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Every Nation Singapore podcast. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. For more information, visit everynation.org.sg.